Welcome to the At The Table podcast, a production of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On this podcast, we aim to explore how church leaders can more effectively understand and utilize the voices of young single adults in their words and stakes. You'll hear from experienced church leaders and young single adults about best practices, inspiring stories, and encouraging methods to help us all follow Jesus Christ together. My name is Cami Castrillon. I'm originally from Colombia. I was born and raised there, and I moved to the United States when I was 16. I moved to the big city of New York, and that's where I joined the church. And then soon after, I served my mission in Riverside, California. Then after my mission, I moved to Utah, and I've been here ever since. I love dancing, especially salsa, hiking, baking, and I am thrilled to be part of this amazing podcast at the table. I'm Jared Pearson, and I have the pleasure to be a, a co-host on the At The Table podcast. I'm currently in Provo, Utah, but I was born and raised in Livermore, California, right outside San Francisco, California. I ended up serving my mission in New Hampshire, uh, the New Hampshire-Manchester mission. And some of my favorite things are playing pickleball, tennis, or staying inside, playing some board games, or reading books as well. And I'm just really excited to be part of this. Welcome back to the At The Table podcast. I'm here with Jared. Hey, how's it going? Great. And we're here with Claire and Matt. Welcome, Claire and Matt. Hi, happy to be here. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to start with just getting to know you. If, if you can tell us about who you are and um, what you do. We're talking to church historians here and we're um, excited to learn more about what you do. Well, I'm Claire Haney. I'm an associate historian with the church history department. I've been there for a little over four years. My background is in history from BYU and a master's degree in history from Oxford University. I've been with the church history department ever since I graduated. Very cool. What about you, Matt? Uh, I'm Matt McBride, and I'm the director of publications for church history. I'm a historian. I was trained. I went to graduate school up at the University of Utah, and um, I've worked at the church history department for about 12 years and love it. We work on the Joseph Smith papers. We work on Saints, uh, which is the church's official history, the four-volume history. And it's just a really great place to be. So we're here today and we're talking in the context of YSAs and YSA leaders. And we kind of just wanted to outline what, what are we hoping to accomplish here today in talking about church history or other topics as well? Well, as a, um, as a member of this demographic, as a, a YSA myself, I would say I have a lot of close friends and family members who have struggled with church history questions and um, have not always known how to find the right resources and have not always been met with, um, with empathy and with understanding as they've brought those questions to um, leaders in the church. Um, so what we're hoping to do today is, is provide some, some helpful tips and uh, guidance of, of how to help leaders and, and um, those they lead to feel like they have access to the resources that they need to find answers to their questions. Maybe add that all of us maybe in one way or another have experienced something traumatic in our, in our lives. And it, and it certainly can be traumatic sometimes to discover something about church history that, that maybe troubles you or something you didn't know about and it's new. Uh, but one of the most important things that somebody who's had that kind of an experience needs is a nurturing relationship to help them through it. 
Uh, and so, so I think that's maybe the most important thing we could focus on is how we can, as, as people in a position to counsel and help and support those who have questions about church history, how can we, how can we provide that kind of a nurturing relationship that'll help them land in a, in a good place? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, being a YSA too, I know that not only a YSA, but someone that is kind of new to the church. I'm a convert to the church. So a lot of things I still don't know about. And I probably haven't felt like I want to go and ask a leader, not necessarily because I don't trust them, but um, maybe I'm scared to know or, you know, and I, I really appreciate you both saying that um, you would like to talk about how leaders can be a safe place for people to come and talk. And maybe a lot of us are just scared that we're, we're going to get a lecture or um, maybe that they, the leaders don't know where to send us. So um, my question is, where or what can leaders do to help feel YSA uh, community that they can come and talk and ask questions and be a safe place. Maybe we could maybe we could start by talking a little bit about that opportunity is, uh, that a, that a leader has when when a young single adult approaches them. It, it, that's a it's such a I'd say it's a sacred privilege. What a, what a great opportunity to be able to have somebody extend that kind of trust to you, and and it's, it's just important that in your interactions that, that you preserve that trust. We, they have questions that relate to something really important and tender to them, which is their faith. And, you know, we think about, we think about faith sometimes as, as belief or, you know, be belief that'll lead to knowledge through, through experience. That, that's certainly important and, and belief would be a good, a good synonym for faith. Uh, but we also believe that, uh, that, that what saves us is faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the, the moment you put another person, the perfect person, but another person on the other side of that equation, the object of that phrase, it's faith in Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're thinking about our faith then in relational terms. Is, there's a relationship there. And when you think about it on those relational grounds, I, I at least think of different synonyms like trust. So that'd be another synonym for faith, trust or loyalty. And, and, and so, and this is, this is of course something that's important that we can help teach uh, as, as we go along that, that our, our faith is in Jesus Christ and, and that we're, we trust him and he's thoroughly trustworthy. And so if, even if we're having questions about a church policy or a church history question or, a, or something, you know, Jesus Christ is always a safe place of retreat for everyone. And, and that's a relationship that we can always cultivate with full trust. But this idea of faith as trust and, and faith as a, as relating to a relationship is important in the way that we, uh, that, w that we counsel people as well. Because then if you take this idea of, of trust and, and apply it now to the church, which we, which we believe is, is, a divinely ordained vehicle that's in, in designed to bring people to Christ, right? Um, pe people's trust in in the church as an organization, as a community of believers, is important too. And there's so much that we can do as we counsel people to be cultivating that trust. 
And that, that's a different kind of mindset. If you're entering into a situation where you're counseling or talking to someone and you're thinking about, what can I do to engender trust? What can I do to build a relationship of trust? That's a different mindset than how can I answer the questions or solve the problems or fix this or get them to stop worrying? The, 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 the desire, you know, trust, trust is a, it's sometimes hard to come by in this world. It's more, it's a, it's mortality and it's full of people and challenges and problems. And, and so it can be a fragile thing, but it's something that requires cultivation. And, and if that is our mindset as we're counseling people that I'm, my, my first opportunity is to, is to build trust. Uh, that, that changes the equ equation and the perspective. And it's going to, if we can start there, it's going to prevent some bad behaviors, like trying to go in and just tell them to stop worrying or fix, fix them, so to speak, or, or give them a quick, maybe simplistic answer to a question that doesn't satisfy them. That's not, that's not what we're about, first and foremost, foremost. Ultimately, we want people to get there. We want them to be able to believe in and understand, have that testimony of, of the plan of salvation, of Jesus Christ, of, of, of all of the things that are so important to us. Um, but, but the, but the right place to start, I think is just, is, is, is doing things that will help people trust you, trust the church. Um, and what, what are those things? I mean, being honest, being, or maybe it's the 13th article of faith, <laughs> honest and true and chaste and benevolent. I mean, the way to think about it is what are the kinds of things in your life that people have done to you or that you've done to people that have damaged trust? And, and, it, and think about what that list is and don't do those things, you know, if it's dishonesty or if it's, or if it's acting in a way that's not consistent with what you say or with what you believe. And so, so I, I think that's an important kind of mindset for any opportunity here is that this is, this is about people and relationships and trust. And, and that's, the, that's the place to start. And if you can preserve and create that relationship, you'll have influence in a different way. You, your, your influence can grow with them. The, the 121st section of the Doctrine and Covenants talks about this. But if we, if we do all those things and engage in those Christ-like behaviors to build that relationship with them and show them that our love for them is, is strong, um, you know, then, then that trust can follow and, and we will have influence with them. And the things that we say will be more meaningful um, and, and we'll be able to help them in a different way. And so it's just a, it's just a reordering or a different mindset, maybe. As I hear you talk, um, I'm hearing like, don't just jump into answering a question, but listen first, right? And, and then offer something for, for people to go in and find themselves or um, offer that trust and, and loyalty that um, we're, we're all looking for. Um, Claire, do you have something to add to that? Absolutely. I love everything that's that's been said. I would just add um, that asking a question is a position of vulnerability for the questioner. And I think it's important for leaders to validate that vulnerability and demonstrate that trust, that they are trustworthy, that they are willing to be a continual resource rather than just a one-time quick fix kind of thing. Um, I think it's important to see a question as a starting point and not an ending point. Um, and it's really important for leaders 
to not make assumptions about where this question is coming from. I think often we have a tendency to equate questions about church history or about difficult gospel principles to a desire to have a reason to leave the church, to step away from faith, or to make judgments about um, about the church or about church leaders. I think it's important to not make those assumptions, but to provide and foster an environment where the spirit is very present. Um, questions about church history and, and, and the gospel in general do not typically have easy answers. Sometimes they don't have answers that are available to us in this life. And what is really important is the spirit testifies of truth. We can try and, and offer as many facts as we want to answer questions, but in the end, truth is possible through Jesus Christ, through the spirit. And that truth and the peace that comes with it is possible even in spite of a lack of certainty, a lack of a, of a full answer to a question. Um, and a, a leader who can demonstrate and provide that kind of environment for someone who's being vulnerable and asking that question, that's a valuable resource that that person can return to over and over again when new things come across their plate. Um, it's, it, it doesn't need to be a one-time conversation. It needs to be something that's continual that you can, as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants, you can um, rejoice and, and edify, be edified together. Um, it, should, it should be a place of, of positivity, of joy, of peace, and, and not a place of fear. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity, just as Matt said, to build trust not only in, in the leaders and in the church, but in Jesus Christ and knowing that he is, he's the healer, he's the peace giver, he is the answer to even the most difficult question. You know, the one thing that really stood out from when you were talking before was you kind of need to recognize questions for what they are, which is not necessarily a faith killer, but a faith grower in a lot of different circumstances. And that's whether or not the questions get answered and that's whether or not there's really a clear or satisfying thing at the end, right? It's a way of growing closer to Christ. It's a way of growing with the Savior, I would say, instead of growing in a different way. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that people have. And I feel like sometimes people are like, man, that's a dumb question. Or mm -hmm. sometimes it's, man, that was a really hard question that no one can seem to answer. And so we want to ask the question, are there a lot of questions that we should anticipate as leaders in YSA settings or in other settings of things that we should anticipate trying to answer, maybe pointing people towards resources that could help answer as well. There are a number of different kinds of questions that people ask about church history, and some of them have relatively straightforward answers, and some of them have really complicated answers. And one of the, one of the things that you learn quickly is that it's easy to come up with a kind of a, a quick sound bite uh, if, if you're, if you want to be critical and then, and then it, it's also, on the other hand, true that history is just such a complicated thing and that the answers a lot of times require more than just a quick soundbite answer and, and, and require some thought and some reflection and, and maybe maybe a little bit of study. Um, and I think it's helpful to, to set that expectation. Um, the, most, the most common things that people have questions about... Um, 
usually center on the, the topic of plural marriage. I think there are a, a fair number of questions about plural marriage, how it started and why it started the way it did and what it was like to live under those circumstances and how did it end and, you know, and, 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 and so there are, there are a whole series of questions around that. And that's a, that's a, f- a fairly common thing. And one, one that's, that's, you know, it's this set of questions, again, for which uh, there are easy answers to a few things. And, and some of them are just, some of them are just challenging to us, to our sensibilities, to, uh, to us even as historians, because there aren't as many sources as we'd like um, to help us to understand, uh, uh, you know, everything we want to know. What else, Claire? Uh, I would say um, questions about translation, whether it's the process of the the translation of the Book of Mormon by the Prophet Joseph Smith, um, whether it's about the Book of Abraham, um, the Bible translation, just that whole that whole process of how did we get the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Um, how is revelation received? It seems to be a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, Another one that uh, that does not have easy answers is um, questions around uh, the priesthood and temple ban um, and race restrictions on um, the priesthood and uh, temple participation. And, and one of the things that's important to know is that these are questions that have been around for a long time. They've been studied really thoroughly. Frankly, this is... This is something the church has made a, a substantial um, investment in, and in, in this is a lot of the work that we do in our department is trying to make sure that we understand these questions as, as thoroughly as we can, so we can give the most informed and the best answers that that we can. Um, and and so, so for the for this set of the most common questions that people are going to have about church history, the the church has produced resources that can be helpful to you as a leader. They can be helpful things to point uh, young adults and others that you may be talking to, uh, to uh, as a part of their uh, um, quest to try to get answers to, to those questions. Uh, so you're, you're not, you're not alone. And, and a lot, again, a lot of those questions are things that are just very well known and have been thoroughly looked at and studied and, and resources do exist. And I think that's, that's important to know. And that being the case, church leaders don't need to feel like they have to be scholars. They don't need to feel like they they have to have a master's degree in history to answer questions. Um, Resources are provided and continue to be provided um, by the church history department and the church um, at large Um, through the church website, through the gospel library app. There are incredible resources available. Um, that hopefully church leaders feel confident in um, becoming well-versed with those resources. Um, not that they need to know everything that's, that's available there, but just to know where to point people for resources that they can find um, or at least start their search. And there, there are a couple of things we could point to in particular. Um, in the Gospel Library app, there's a Gospel Topics section. And it's, it's actually a... a there's a lot of material in there on a lot of different topics, but among other things, there are topics and essays and other material that were, were produced by the church and, and, and worked on with historians who are trained um, and other experts, but also um, reviewed and, and approved by church leaders. 
and they're they're I think a really great resource on a lot of these topics that we've that we've discussed. Another place you might look is the church history section of the app. If if the if the questions tend to be about church history specifically, and and in that section you'll find um, a, a, a series of church history topics that deal with a few few other relevant questions that people have about our history, uh, as well as of course as things like saints. Which, which is a great place to start. And one of the things that happens when, when people start to get church history questions on, and, and read about certain things online is it, you, know, you, you kind of go down this rabbit hole and you get this question and that question. All the questions start to pile up and, and they're just kind of right there in front of your face. And it's easy to lose some perspective when, you know, some, something that would be a, maybe a small rock when you hold it close enough to your eyes just looks like a, a giant boulder. And, and one of the things that I think saints is designed to do is help people to kind of step back because it's possible to take this big, beautiful thing, this beautiful tapestry that's the history of the church and, and recognize that there might be a few little black threads in that tapestry. And it, but if all you do is just pull all those out and put them in a pile in front of you and, and, and stare at it, you're missing the big picture. And saints is designed to hopefully do that and help people kind of step back and say, yeah, there's there's some questions that I have about church history and things I wonder about and wish I knew, um, but it's helpful to put those in the context and in that bigger picture, and that so that's another resource that's available for you and for people that you counsel um, in the church history section. There are a lot of resources out there that we are not aware of, um, as YSAs or just as members of the church. Um, and it could also be, I don't know, maybe it could be overwhelming to learn about those. Um, because like you said, we can go and look for our answer and then something comes up and we want to um, ask a different question and it could be just over overwhelming. Um, but I just love what I'm hearing that this is all an opportunity to grow our faith and to grow our relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And um Asking questions isn't a bad thing. It's great. He asked, He wants us to ask questions because I feel like that's a desire. That's showing Him a desire um, for us to, to learn more about Him and to understand things better. Um, I have a question um, because I feel like if I get a lot of information, and I've heard this from other friends too, like YSA friends, like they are like, oh, I don't want to ask a question because if I have a lot of information, I might be, that might be the reason why I um, distance myself from my beliefs. Um, and it looks like your faith is very strong and you've researched, researched a lot and you have a lot of knowledge. So how has this uh, experience that you've had researching and learning things about church history, strengthen your faith? It's a great question because I have spent my entire career thus far deep in church history questions. And it hasn't always been easy. But I will say that my faith is stronger today than it was four and a half years ago when I started because I've had experiences that are deeply personal and deeply tailored to me 
and my needs that I've had with the Lord in answering those questions or, or going through those questions with Him um, that I wouldn't trade for anything that have deepened my faith and have, have helped me to gain a perspective that has been, um, that has been incredible. I'll just give an example. Early in my time at church employment, I came across some, some information that was new to me. It was regarding plural marriage and which is a, a difficult and complicated topic. And when I encountered this information, it was troubling to me. It ran counter to what I had understood previously about this topic. And it, it definitely caused me some anguish and some pause. I spent about two hours in this situation, um, just my mind rolling around, just kind of looking in every corner, um, trying to, to come up with a solution. And I came to a point where I had to just stop. I had to stop and I had to say, this is a question that I probably will not find an easy answer to. So where can I go to have an experience with God that will, in essence, answer that question for me, even without the facts? So I went to the temple. Um, I went over to the Salt Lake Temple when it was still open and I participated in an ordinance there. And I had an experience while I was there where I didn't receive an exact answer to my question, but I received a deep impression, a revelation from God where I, I came to know Him in a new way. I came to understand the way that He interacts with His children and specifically with me in a new way. And I left that experience obviously not having all the facts that I maybe desired, but I got to a point where I didn't need them in the same way. I came to trust the Lord and understand His vast love for me. And in the end, that was enough for me to keep moving forward. And I've had so many experiences like that with questions or with whether they're about church history or just about life. I have a lot of life questions too. And I have been so blessed by my study of church history to get to know figures from the past who are complicated, who are dealing with a lot of the same things that I do. And I have come to learn from them and, and gain so much empathy for them and gain so much perspective from them and from the experiences that they went through, um, the hardships that they weathered, that my faith has just continued to grow exponentially from this experience. And I know church history can feel daunting. Those questions can feel overwhelming, but I know that Jesus Christ has been active in his church from the very beginning. And so trusting in him as we, we go on this journey 
as we lead others through this journey, he truly is, he's, he's going to help us. He doesn't want us to be confused and alone. He wants to walk with us and to, to give us the peace, even without certainty, that is possible through him. I, I love what you said about how that study of church history is, builds empathy. Uh, you know, when you when you study it deeply, it it gives you, a, I think, a real sense of empathy for the, the human condition in general, for the experiences that church members have been through. A lot of empathy for church leaders and the challenges that they face. I, sometimes we we forget that they're human beings and they're given this unbelievably important and complicated and challenging uh, task, and and so. So some 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 empathy for them in that work, and and just a real respect too for for the way they approach it. I I think about the Joseph Smith papers. That's that's been an intense effort that our department has undergone for twenty years now. We're just about finished with it, and so we can now kind of step back and say, well, what have we learned from all of this? And we've been having discussions about this lately among the historians on the project. And one of the things that emerged was. You know, to the extent that you can get to know somebody through the documentary record that that they leave behind, we feel like we know Joseph Smith really well. And uh, there's a, a narrative out there that he was a charlatan or a deceiver. And I think one thing I would say with with a, a lot of confidence after this effort is that we would look at that and say that whole idea really collapses under the weight of the work that we've done with the papers. That Joseph Smith is absolutely sincere and and earnest and and i think that's 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 a, a gift that's a gift that a deep study of church history of joseph smith and his life can give us as latter-day saints today uh, um and and yeah I, you know for for me personally i i just i i love I love spending time with these people from the past and seeing their faith and seeing how God works with people, usually in really subtle ways. Uh, we love the big miracles and the parting of the Red Sea, but but for me, the, the thing that I guess my study of church history has helped me appreciate in a different way is just how how gently and how subtly God works in the world with his children. And sometimes it's a little prompt or whispering and somebody does something and acts on it and then and that starts that starts something and 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 you see this happening thousands and millions of times over and the cumulative effect is just huge but it all but but it always seems to start with this really gentle small uh, interaction and so if anything it's it's led me to turn inward a little bit and 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 try to listen to the spirit and 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 try to understand and think more carefully about how God might be trying to work with me. You know, I really I really love the fact that you're talking about church history and you're saying it's a faith building experience. And as you learn more about different things, it gives you more empathy. It gives you more opportunities to see from a different perspective, a different lens. In essence, grow your faith from a, a different avenue, if I would say. And I think that is a wonderful experience. There's also a lot of resources that kind of lead you down a very different path, right? I'm sure there's no shortage of things if you Google certain things. And some of it is just 
really hard to work through, right? Rather it's right or wrong or taken out of context or it's really convincing at times. And how would you approach the situation where it's, you have people who are Googling things, they're going through all these different things, but you're not going to tell them to just stop Googling, right? So how would you approach the subject of how to address internet relations in terms of looking up questions? And let's start with Claire. We have become very comfortable with Google and with the methods of finding new information, often very quickly, that is truly at at the tip of our fingertips. Um, It's sitting in our pockets for the vast majority of the day. I think as leaders, it's important to point people to proper resources, which we've outlined, um, being things on the church website, on the Gospel Library app. Um, we become very comfortable in, in using our, our forms of social media or Google. Um, but sometimes if you want to find the answer to a question and you're really sincere about it, you're willing to take, make the extra effort and go somewhere new. That being said, we're going to encounter things um, about church history or gospel principles even when we're not looking for it on Google or on social media. So how as church leaders can you guide those who come to you with questions through what is often a bit of a mire on the internet? Um, I think it's about living your life with the Spirit. It's about doing the things we all know we need to be doing to arm ourselves with the Spirit. So that when we face things, whether we seek them out or they randomly come across our feed, we have an extra level of discernment and we can can tell when things are being taken out of context, when things are being presented in a certain way to provoke an emotional response rather than bring truth or a situation where a bunch of facts are listed, but there's no actual truth there. I think facts can be presented in such a way that they that they seem like the end of the story. But I think that sometimes the things that we come across on the internet, they're just a tiny portion of a much bigger topic. Um, so having that gift of discernment hopefully will give give leaders and and those that they counsel the confidence to to question the, the things that they find and then seek after the proper resources to find the the truth behind those facts. As you can imagine, it's a question we think about a lot as historians. I mean we're applying that same question to historical sources because You've got a thing that happened, you got 10 people that talked about it, and they all say slightly different things, and you're trying to figure out how do all of these accounts of this thing relate to each other, and who do I trust, and on what topics, and why, and, and, and there, there, are a lot of, boy, there are a lot of habits of mind, there are a lot of things that we can learn that, that, that help us. I, I love that Claire started with, you know, get the spirit. I think that's such that's just such the the right starting point. 
Um, and then, and then from there, what else? What else can we do? Um, one of our colleagues, I'll, I'll a historian. Her name is Melissa Inouye that we work with, and she uses this great analogy sometimes when we talk about this. Um, and she says, if you were walking down the street and you saw like a table and there was a plate of spaghetti and meatballs on that table with a sign that said, eat me, would you eat it? <laughs> this is the question she poses. And, and people, you know, there's always some smart aleck in the audience that says, well, yeah, you know, but but <laughs> would, would we eat it? Um, and and we would we would be suspicious, right? As like, who prepared this? Did they follow proper standards of cleanliness? Did somebody po- poison it? Um, or 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 maybe even something more innocuous, like is the recipe going to be any good? You know, there are all all of these questions that might go into uh, that we might ask of that plate of spaghetti. Um, we we probably wouldn't eat it what would we do? Well, we'd go to a restaurant or we'd go to our home. We'd go somewhere where there's a, some trust. This gets back to that trust question, but but um, we'd go somewhere where there's like a, a chef and we know they have a good recipe. And then we know that the health department has ensured that they're washing their hands and that they're they're using ingredients that aren't, you know, out of date or, or whatever. Um there are all of these safeguards that are that are built into the process. That that's what we would do. The challenge with the internet is that we've, we've, we're faced with this situation every time we go on there. And if you go looking, you're going to have a lot of th- plates of spaghetti that say "Eat me," and and then we have to start asking these questions, and it's hard to know. Um, but um, like the first thing to recognize is that so much of this content that's out there about church history on the internet. It exists in in a rhetorical environment, meaning you have people that are an, antagonistic to the church that want to use facts from church history. They want to use them to achieve some end. Now, you also have the church who, and we have a vested interest as a church in, 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 in portraying our history and talking about it in a way that helps build faith. And and if you want to think about it in one sense, that's a that's a kind of bias too. But it, but it's important for us to be able to look at this kind of this landscape and recognize that facts really they don't speak for themselves. And I think this is part of what what Claire's saying. Fact, the facts don't speak for themselves. You've got people involved with different intentions, and just recognizing that fact is a really good starting point. It's a it's a good starting point. Now, when we do historical scholarship, our project in some ways, if you want to think about it this way, would be to try to account for or take bias out of that process by comparing sources against one another and applying these 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 methodologies that historians use to try to say, you know, what what makes a resource reliable and in what ways on what on which questions. Um, and 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 so the, our our goal there is to try to to create you know something that that helps us see clearly through the bias that, that might exist out there. Um, uh, whereas I think frequently when you encounter antagonistic information on the internet, you have to recognize that they're, they're trying to they're they're pouring a lot of a lot of uh, bias into the conversation and it's. 
if anything, it's going to make it more challenging. And this is this is why, as historians, we would say there are a couple of places we could, we could we a couple of things we could do recognize this situation. A B, um, there there's there's good scholarship about church history, um, and the, the church itself is invested in creating good scholarship in church history. And we don't do that in a vacuum, and we don't do that kind of with our with our. We we try to apply the canons of historical research as carefully and as thoroughly as we can when we do our work. For example, on the Joseph Smith Papers, and we involve people outside of the church who are respected scholars in their field to ensure and so that we're doing our work properly and scrutinizing it. I think I think there's I think that's helpful. Um, and then the church has produced resources and and we employ people with historical training to do that work. Um, we're not shy about the fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ and believe that the church is, is true. But we also try to be as honest and careful as we can with the sources. So when we produce saints, if we say that, you know, somebody sighed, well, then that has to be in a source. We have to be able to document it. We're, we're, we're really careful about all of those kinds of things as we do our work. And, I, uh, and hopefully that comes through um, in, in, in the work that we do. But really, really, the, the, the church cares about doing history right. Our history is really important to us. We, our, our department works really hard to with everything that we do to make sure that we're as careful as we can be, that we're as reliable as we can be with our work, and we're not perfect. And uh, and if you want to call it a bias, then yes, our belief in Jesus Christ and in the church. But I mean, at the same time, I I think I can say unequivocally that we are more careful than most of the material that you will find about church history on the internet. And that, that's spoken from the standpoint of somebody who works with historians all day, every day, and, and seeks their input in, in our work. You know, I'm really grateful um, for you, for your knowledge and for all the things that you've shared because I personally feel more comfortable to go and research and ask questions um, because we are told in the church, you know, um, Ask and you shall receive, or ask of God if you lack wisdom and he'll give it to you. And a lot of times, we, yeah, we go to God and we ask him questions and we do receive answers. But that also entails that we need to do our part, right? Joseph Smith had a question. He went to different churches. He went and asked God. He read the scriptures. He did his part. He did his research. Um, and with this spaghetti situation, I feel like when we're in that situation, we don't, we're not hard on ourselves when we're like, should I, should I not? Like, it's okay to have those questions about things in life and the gospel, but that's just part of our learning process in, on this earth. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and I loved how you both talk, talked about kind of like preparing ourselves before we go and ask questions, you know, bring the spirit have the spirit with you or say a prayer. Um, is there anything else, any other advice that you would give people that are 
wanting to ask questions. How can they prepare better before they ask a questions? And leaders, how can they prepare um, to help answer those questions? I think it's really important to for those asking questions and for those receiving the questions to recognize that while we've outlined some of the common questions that, um, that a lot of people ask, we all have different questions. And the reality is they're all coming from different experiences that we've had and personal um, thoughts, personal biases, personal preferences, um, relationships, experiences that we've had. Those inform our questions. And I think as church leaders, it would be easy to to hear a question and say, oh, oh, I've had that question. This was how I answered it. And in an effort to build sort of empathy or build camaraderie or trust. Um, and sometimes that can be helpful, but more often than not, people just want a listening ear. They want to feel like their questions matter. And if they feel like their questions are just the same as everybody else's and that maybe maybe they feel like they don't matter as much, I would say that just like every question is different, every person is different, and every answer is going to look different. The answer that brought peace to me is not going to bring peace to someone else. But that's the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the Spirit and of Jesus Christ is He knows us intimately, personally. And when we have the gift of the Holy Ghost with us, we literally have a member of the Godhead who is with us, walking through this life, and who is able and available to answer our questions in the way that makes sense to us. So... Forgive me if I sound a little bit like a broken record, but it really is about fostering an environment where the spirit can be present, both as the questioner and as the leader. Kindness and empathy are key on both sides. Um, understanding is important on both sides. Um, and a level of humility, recognizing that as a leader, you're not necessarily going to have all of the answers. As a leader, you're not the final word on a given topic. Or as a questioner, um, just because you're asking that question doesn't mean that you're better than someone else or that you've thought more deeply about your faith than someone else. Um, humility is really important just to demonstrate this sense that, that there are a lot of things we don't have the answers to. And trusting in God and trusting in His timing that we'll get the answers that we need in the hour that we need them, just as we were promised throughout the scriptures of the restoration. Um, it will be given you in the very hour that you need it. Um, I, I really believe that that's true. And all of this being said, what do you do as historians to process the information that you come across, difficult or not difficult? What, what Claire said about humility before I think is really important. <laughs> um, it's important, you know, as she suggested in the context of counseling and helping someone, it's also important uh, for all of us as people seeking answers to, to tough questions or to any question is to kind of have, have 
to, to approach them from a standpoint of humility. And by that, I mean, with, with any question that we have, we bring a lot of assumptions and experience to those questions. Uh, and those, that, that all stems from our life experience. Uh, you know, we, we have a certain angle that we're approaching the questions from. Um, and it, and it, and so, so as you approach a question about church history, it's really important to, to be able to recognize that we can't fully understand uh, the, the past in the same way that our experience doesn't allow us to fully understand uh, what it's like to be born and raised in a completely different culture or different part of the world today. Uh, just to recognize the, um, the complexities of human life and of, of human interaction that exists now and that have always existed and know that when you travel to the past, and I know it's kind of a, a cliche at this point, but you are traveling to a foreign country and you should expect things to be very different. Uh, and, and, you should, and, and it's, it's one of those things where you maybe want to check some of your assumptions that you bring from your culture at the door as you go and, and try to understand what's happened in the past. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't encounter things in the past that you ought to reject for some reason. Uh, in fact, the, the, the gospel might even call upon us to reject some things that we see that happened in the, even in the history of the church, right? I mean, we, there, there was a famous event called the Mountain Meadows Massacre. That's just an awful thing that happened. And it was perpetrated by church members. And, and we, we, can, we can reject it. And, and yet, as we go back and try to, try to understand what happened, reconstruct what happened, it's important for us to try to do that work of, of understanding the contexts and understanding the people involved. Uh, we, we owe them our best attempts to, to understand. And that, again, that doesn't always mean that we will accept everything. Um, but boy, that, having, having the humility to recognize that our experience is not the same as theirs, it's, it's really important. Um, and, and, in, and, and, and in the same way that we might look at something that's happened in the past and, and say, well, why, why'd they do that thing? Um, I think it's possible that there are people, for example, living in, in Brigham Young's day that might look at the world and the state we're in now today and, and have their own critiques of what we do. And, 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 and people a hundred years from now are going to look back at us and say, you guys were crazy. Like how on earth could you think that? And, you know, and, 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 and we hope, we hope that they'll have that same willingness and that same humility and, and desire to understand the world in which we lived and the, the context in which we made our decisions. And then, um, and, 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 and that's something we can afford to, to people in the past. I think that's one, one thing that I've learned um, from, from the work of, of doing history. Well, I'd say something that I have, that I think about a lot as I approach the study of history is, is how incredible it is that the Lord can do his work with a bunch of complicated and sometimes very weak humans. The Lord has wrought a miracle 
through the restoration of the gospel because the people of the past, the people of today, we're not perfect. And we make a lot of mistakes and we're not always as nice as we need to be or as understanding. But um, as I approach the people of the past and understanding them, um, I just have so much love and so much gratitude for the sacrifices they made so that I could have the fullness of the gospel today. Um, I think specifically about my ancestors. I, I have ancestors who, who all crossed the plains as pioneers and, and that legacy of faith is something that I hold very dear. Um, but whether that's in your ancestry or not, it's a part of your spiritual DNA. It's a part of all of our spiritual DNA as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we are a people of faith. We're a people who face incredible odds, incredible trials, and we come through it stronger. And I am just so grateful for that heritage. And I think even with the tough questions of the past, even with the things that don't always sit easy in my mind, um, the many unanswered questions that even I have today, um, I just feel this well of gratitude for the sacrifices that people like Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Emma Smith, Jane Manning, Eliza R. Snow, just incredible people who sacrificed everything for the cause of Christ. Their faith, their tenacity in the face of incredible difficulties strengthens me to the point where I can feel peace regardless of fully understanding everything. Um, that's a tool that gratitude for them has become a tool that I cling to when there are things that are difficult to process. And I, I'm just so grateful for them. <laughs>